Hello, my name is Luke Brown. I'm a sports coach from the UK with a football and sports science background. Welcome to my podcast, A Journey Through Sport. On this podcast, myself and guests reflect and share our experiences working in sports. Hopefully listeners can use these experiences of others and apply it to their own work in sport or day-to-day life. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome back, Webbo. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. But, um, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Um, we well, we've been trying to sort of continue to discuss options at the at the women's football club, and we've had a meeting today in terms of. Uh, Going back, I think we're allowed to go back sort of uh, and do one-to-one sessions if players are happy to do that, which we've said that can happen with those that want to do it uh, in local parks, um, possibly up on the Heath or over at Avery Hill, close to the training ground. Um, not sure of how it might, how it would pan out, but we've said in, in principle we can, we can probably do that. Um, but in terms of everything starting again, it, the next decision is going to be sort of the first week of June, um, and I, my 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 real feeling is they should sort of just sort of you know finish it now, uh, and then it gives everybody sort of peace of mind that they can then start concentrating on next season. I guess preparing yeah. to recruit players, deciding on what you're going to do for pre-season, and then you know the FA can settle and and decide you know. Um, how fixtures are going to pan out for next year? Yeah, I spoke to um, for the last podcast was um, I don't know, don't know if you remember Sam Tompkins. I do. Yeah, so we um, I asked him the same question like, what's the um, complications if they were to play, um, were to continue the season from like a physio point of view? I think he said there there'll be injuries. I think for me, there's going to be a load of backlog of games. Um, like, you, like you just mentioned there, what, when you've got pre-season, you need to sort out. But in terms of a physio point of view, would you see an increase in, in injuries? Because obviously they, they, all they're doing well, on Twitter looks like just running 5Ks, but their training load would never be as high as it no, would be if I they were think, training um, day to day. To be fair, I mean, we've given the girls sort of lots of variety. Um, yeah. But then you've got to sort of ask at what intensity are they really doing that at? Um, if we do decide to continue the season, you've got to come back and how long a lead do you have to go into that season? You know, three or four weeks, is that enough uh, to do the sort of the acceleration, deceleration work that you need to be able to do? There certainly will be, in my opinion, uh, an increase in injuries or the potential for injuries. and And then... With, it, with somebody like ourselves, you know, Charlton Athletic Women, we are, you know, we've got quite a small squad anyway. So if you start losing players, then, you know, I don't think then results really reflect the, the quality of the squad that you have. No, because I was thinking about, about that today, because obviously Troy Deeney, the players that, like that have come out and said stuff about not going back. But it's also, as well, I think if you look at it in terms of a fan perspective it's going to be one is beyond closed doors and two it's almost going to be in terms of such an important stage of the season like pre-season friendlies yeah as well so I just I, yeah i just don't think it's worth 
Well, from a, a competitive element, you know, yeah. you know what it's like pre-season. Pre-season tends to be um, giving players maybe half a game each yeah. to start, uh, and then building time up from there, gradually increasing intensity. Where you're probably going to not be able to get those pre-season games in, and you're looking at the actual league games as being part of that lead into the season. So it's either going to be uh, very unrealistic in terms of, you know, the results and stuff, um, and, and really sort of unrealistic for the teams to expect to be top form within, you know, the first I would say two weeks of the season. Yeah. So, uh, so I think it's going to be quite difficult. I mean, in terms of being behind closed doors for for us at our level, that's not going to matter too much because the crowds are, are not so extensive. We're only talking you know, maximum a couple of hundred people. So for us, it's not going to be such a, a big thing. But for the Premier League and the Championship and stuff like that, then playing behind closed doors, I've played in games myself in a stadium when you're preparing for, you know, games, you know, playing first team versus the reserves, probably not the same, but you can imagine that it's quite an eerie sort of feeling. Um, I heard a few games towards um, before everything was stopped uh, in the Champions League, and you, when you heard them on the radio, you could hear the echoing sound of the ground. You could hear players talking to each other on the pitch, um, and it just seemed, you could sense that emptiness of the of the stadium. So it's very different. No, yeah. I know, yeah, I agree. It's just, I think whatever decision they make will obviously be the wrong one. I think no one's going to, they're not going to keep everyone happy, are they? Well, you, as they say, you can't please everybody yeah. all the time. So, um, whichever way it goes, it won't be, you know, it won't please everybody. But I think what you've got to consider is the, you know, the safety. And, you know, we're talking about people potentially, you know, getting an illness that can kill them. So, um, I think it's got to be taken seriously. But, in my opinion, I think it needs just to be brought to an end um, and a decision made, and then we can all move on a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so moving on with the podcast then. So last week we spoke about, or not last week, sorry. Um, last time you were on, we spoke about so your um, career up until um, at Spurs Academy, um, their values, um, what you learned from there going out on loan. And then we've left it at, you've just made your debut for Tottenham. And this is obviously the bit I'll add on, so I can cut this bit out. Um, can you um, tell us how you felt like that? Um, obviously, I'll, it'll just lead on nicely from what I've cut out. So yeah, that, so I mean, yeah. I, yeah, we've done that know, bit. Maybe- I made my debut at Spurs aged 18 um, against Everton. Um, I think crowd-wise, I think there's probably 30-odd thousand there. Played against two international internationals for Everton. David Johnson, English international, and, uh, and Graham Sharp, Scottish international. And we ended up winning 2-1 with a very young team. Um, and then, yeah, I sort of mentioned we, <laughs> maybe a few days later, I'd gone and played you know, for the reserves against Luton. So it's a very different um, different feel. But 
I guess as a young player coming through, it was an expected part of your journey that, you know, that transition to be a first team player is never going to be a, a completely smooth one. Um, you know, unless you were deemed a so-called budding superstar. And even then, you know, there would be times when you would be brought out and rested. But for me, it was a case of I went in, played a game, come out, played a, a reserve game, travelled with the team again for a game at Coventry at the weekend and was what we, what we call 12th man or substitute. You know, we only had one sub at the time. We always used to travel with 13 players just in case somebody was ill or they got an injury or something in the warm-up. Uh, so I was sub for that game, come on for the last 25 minutes. Uh, Jim Melrose stuck his six studs into my chest as a welcome in the first five minutes of my coming on. Uh, and fun funnily enough, I played at left back. I was talking about versatility the other day. And it's one of the things that Spurs used to teach us is to you know be able to play in different positions. Um, and I often in the reserves used to play at left back or right back. Uh, my normal position at centre-half and very, very occasionally as a sort of a central uh, defensive midfield player. Uh, but for Spurs, that was rare because uh, we had so much talent in midfield. Did, sorry, so when you had that trial with QPR, you, got, you played at left-back then? Yeah. And you were like, oh, I hope that's not like that, like for other trials. Did you have that same feeling when you got played in different positions at Tottenham? Well, no, because I'd had time, time to start learning about it. Yeah. I remember when I was first put up right back for Spurs in a game against a Saudi Arabian team and I got absolutely taken to the cleaners. <laughs> um, really hot day and, and I come off and I said to my dad, you know, I don't think I can play at full back. But over, you know, over the time that I'd served my apprenticeship and the young, uh, sorry, the early part of my um, sort of professional career, we, we were taught to play in those positions um, it's just that I'd not been exposed to it before. And when you start getting exposed to the position, you start to learn it a little bit more and the things that are required of you. And so I started to get used to that. Left side was probably more alien than right side, but I still, you know, I had a reasonable left foot. I could play at left, left back if I really, really had to. And the game just, the you know, the Coventry game where I came on as a substitute, I think we were a goal down and pushing to get a goal. So we had to sort of shove somebody forward I think it was Chris Hewton that moved forward to left wing and I moved at left back uh, and we ended up getting a goal and, and drawing the game one all so you know and, and the other thing is I guess if you're going to be in the team you know the first team or you're moving up from the youth team to the reserves you're not particularly bothered you know you're trying to get a game so you know to play in different positions it was just you know you're proud to, to move up and, and privileged to move up so you would accept that, you know, you had to bide your time to be in your own position. And that's funny you say that, because obviously when coaching um, the reserves at Cholton, whenever they went up, certain girls went up there, they got obviously played that position. And there were a good few that just mind that they played out of, like if they were a winger, they would have played like as a fullback or a centre-back or whatever it was. And you just thought, well, hold up, you've been given that opportunity. Like the first guess... team manager's not just going to roll them carpet out and play you in front of a person who obviously because obviously when they come up it's obviously like game prep and stuff like that I just, I just couldn't believe believe the attitude of, of some players then yeah I guess I guess if you look at it from their point of view if they're going to go up and try to impress the manager they're probably going to want to try and impress him in the position that they play in you know yeah. they're not 
position. And if they'd not really been exposed to those positions before, I guess, you know, it could be deemed that they're, you know, they go up, they don't do particularly well in that position. They might not be, you know, asked up again. So I think it, from a, from that sort of, from a psychological point of view, it's going to have a big effect on them, isn't it? So, you know, I, I do agree that if you've got, a, not, <coughs> excuse me, an opportunity to go up and train with the first team, then take it. Yeah. Um, but I can also see it from, from the other side as well. Yeah. Well played. Um, so, Moving on, so you've you're looking for first team football, or continue obviously continue your professional football career, and you go to Huddersfield. From uh, yeah, so I, uh, yeah, after after I had a little interim, so after I made my debut for um, for Spurs and then played the the you know the, the substitute game against Coventry, everything went sort of a bit quiet again, really, and I then was pulled by. Keith Birkinshaw and, and and I was asked if I would go out on loan to Exeter uh, and at the time Jerry Francis the old England uh, captain was uh, was manager at, uh, at at Exeter and I, I ended up going down there for about seven months and playing playing in their first team uh, you know we had, it was fortunate enough to sort of bump into Peter Taylor the old um, Spurs winger and who went on to to become part of the England setup as a coach? Uh, very very good player. I used to love Peter when he played for Spurs, and was very fortunate enough to to play in the same team as him. At, you know, Exeter along with Jerry Francis. So that really was my introduction to proper you know proper league football, and that was in the then Division Three. You know, we were sort of I, I guess bottom half of Division Three. Uh, and struggling, and Jerry was trying to fill spaces with young up-and-coming players from from London. Um, and there was me and a, another lad from, I, I think he was from QPR, to be fair, Marco, a young lad called Marco Connor. He uh, he came down on loan as well. And uh, I, yeah, so that was my real uh, introduction to, uh, to to proper league football. And I I remember my debut for Exeter was against Hull City against a player that some people might remember, some people may not, Billy Whitehurst. And um, for anyone that, that can't remember Bill, Bill was a, a big old uh, fashion centre forward. Uh, not that much older than me, uh, but had had more experience. Didn't take no nonsense. Um, and within the first five minutes, Bill would threaten that he was going to knock me into the stand uh, hmm. and he was going to do this, that and the other two. And I... I used to sort of quite like that sort of player because I knew what I was in for. And um, funnily enough, I got man in a match in the game. I marked him out of the game. He didn't score. He didn't do anything really. And I completely dominated him in the air and we won 2-1. And we'd been, you know, Exeter had been struggling. Uh, we won 2-1 and we came off and, I, and Bill came up. He, he must have threatened me three or four times through the game. I'm going to do this, that and the other two. And when we sort of won the game, I was thinking, oh my God, we've got to get off the pitch now. And he came steaming over to me and I thought, oh, you, know, you know, my time's up now. And um, he shook my hand and he said, well played. Really, really enjoyed that. And um, <laughs> previously he told me he was going to sort me out in the bar. But uh, we laughed as we came off and that was my introduction to, you know, proper, you know, proper league football. So, so yeah, I spent, 
I spent seven months there really before going back to Spurs and then ended up at uh, Huddersfield. Yeah, so, what, I mean, what are the differences between? Because Tottenham now still would have been the old Division One. Yeah, so Spurs, Spurs were in Division One and and doing reasonably okay. Um, I went, you know, went down to to Exeter, which I guess you know I, I'd sort of seen the conference at Barnet, so I'd sort of yeah. seen the, the rough and tumble of the the sort of the lower leagues uh, and non-league. Uh, but you know, this was a real baptism, you know, playing at St James's Park. Lovely little ground, uh, but it was tough. You know, a team that was struggling. Um, when you're at a club like Tottenham, you're, you know, you're used to sort of winning and being in yeah. the winning team. So all of a sudden, you've got to get used to the sort of the, uh, you know, the the mentality. How do you deal with losing? You know, how do you deal with uh, being in a team that, you know, doesn't always play good football. Uh, you had to sort of scrap it out sometimes, and and Jerry was very much he he liked to play football, but realised that at that level, you know, it was a bit of a a dogfight at times. How did you deal with that? Obviously, you deal with coming to obviously going to Tottenham to Exeter. How did you deal with obviously losing or that mentality of how do I how do we recover from it? Well, I think I, I guess when you're you know you're exposed to a sort of a, a a losing run, let's say, it can have a you know a big old effect on your on your sort of your mental toughness, you know, or your mental uh, attitude. Um, I've always been always had very strong mentality. We were talking about this the other day. I'm currently doing my UEFA B license, and so we was talking about you know psychology, um, and we were saying about this that one of the main things is your sort of your inner drive to do well. And I think if you look at adversity, if you put players in a position of adversity, you see, you really see how they are um, as a character. You, you know, you'd see all the real, the real person. Yeah. And I think when you're exposed to adversity, depending on your character, determines whether you sink or swim, you know, and I think, it's you know at the time it's a huge um, it's a huge knock to you mentally. And my I, my dad used to be a, not a great person to to be around if we'd lost or you know my my game had not been brilliant. My dad used to sort of crucify me at times, and so I I got used to sort of this being knocked and having to get back up and fight again. You know I he wanted to you know I, I guess in his own mind he was doing he was trying to help me, but when you heard it, you, it, was, it was all very negative. Um, so I, for every negative thought that was thrown at me, I had two positive ones that come back. You know, I'm going to be better. I'm not going to allow this again. I'm, you know, I need to do this better and I'm going to do it better. Uh, and I, I always used to cling on to the positive parts of the game. So it was good. It was a real test. And I, you know, I, I knew that, you know, from a, we talk, you know, when we talk about mental toughness, I've already been, been quite tough. You know, I had quite a tough, you know, upbringing and, and had been exposed to adversity as a kid. So, you know, when it comes to these things, you know, you've got to scrap and fight for things. And it was it was a not such a bad environment for me. You know, we wanted to do well. We did our best to win games. We, 
obviously didn't have the um, the best team in the league, uh, and we had to fight for stuff, you know. Um, and it it was tough, but it was a great experience, you know. Not only on the football pitch, but off the pitch, you know. I had, you know, real experienced players around me to give me, you know, help. So, from obviously the previous podcast as well, that you've obviously you've used that that experience well, haven't you? You've used the people around you. You've obviously played up from age groups, so that helped you deal with your obviously making your debut and going out on loan. So yeah, I think you've made the most yes, of your opportunities and almost around you in, in that environment. Yeah, I, I get. I mean, I, at the end of that season, we you know we we sort of were ended up languishing, you know, languishing down the bottom of the league, uh, and I was. I didn't really want to go back to Spurs and play in the reserves, but and I sat down with Jerry Francis and I said to Jerry, you know, what what do you think I should do? And he said, well, certainly you don't want to be signing here. He said, I think you're better than this. I think you should go back to Spurs. If your contract's up, which it was, he said, go and sign for a year at least if you can. If you can get two, I'd sign for two just in case. Go and sign for a year and then see what happens. And pretty much I went back... Um, and I, I sort of ended up being. I went on loan to Norwich for a, a month, and it was really snowy and you know horrible weather. And I didn't really get a chance to impress anybody at all. And I come back to Spurs again, and um, within within days of coming back, I, I was up uh, to Huddersfield Town, um, and Mick Buxton, I mean the old manager there, Mick Buxton, decided to sort of take me on loan. Uh, initially, within within a month, I think we played probably seven games. I think I'd been given man of a match in five of the games, and Mick was suitably impressed to then uh, offer me a, a three, you know, three and a bit year contract. So I ended that season in three other years, um, and I. <laughs> it's very unlike now where man- managers used to deal with everything at a football club. So Mick would deal with all the finances. You know, he used to deal with pretty much everything across the club. Everything had to go through him. So he'd he sort of asked me to come back after training one afternoon. He said, look, we, we need to sit down. Uh, I'm going to offer you a contract, uh, but we need to sort of sit down and talk about it. So I went back to his office and we we sat down. I'm shitting myself thinking, you know, I've got no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here, you know. I'd always been told what I got, you know, at Spurs, we were told what we were getting and that was it. And this time I had a bit of an opportunity to try and negotiate. So uh, <laughs> Mick said, so uh, so what are you looking for? You know, what, what sort of money are you looking for? And I said, well, to be honest, I don't really know. I've not, I don't, I, I don't know how to value myself. I said, it, but if you can give me a, you know, a, a while, I, I can go and get on the phone and I'll talk to a few people and, so he went, all right, but don't, you know, don't be too long. So I went and got on the phone and there was no mobiles at that time. So you had to sort of chance, I had to chance my arm. I was on the phone at Huddersfield bringing Jerry Francis's house. <laughs> Luckily enough, he was in. And I said to him, what do you think I'm worth? So he told me and I thought, really? Um, he said, so yeah, he said, so I was on a, what was I on at Spurs? Spurs I was on about 100, £110 a week. Um so Jerry's asked me to go and ask for sort of £400 a week. And I was like, Christ, you know, that's four times what I'm on at the moment. 
And he said, and the other thing you need to ask for, he said, you need to ask for a signing on fee. So, and I was like, what's the signing on fee? He went, well, you know, they'll, you know, ask for a, ask for, ask them a 10 grand, you know, sign on fee. He said, because that then can help you with all your expenses of moving and, and buying a house and, and all that sort of stuff. So I went back in and I said to Mick, well, I said, I've spoke to a few people and I said, and this is what I'm asking for. And, you know, 400 pound a week and I want 10,000 pounds signing on fee. And he started laughing. <laughs> so, so I said, well, okay, I must have, must have gone over the top there then. So he went, I'll tell you what, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you £300 a week. He said, and I'll give you five grand. And there's, I'm thinking, yeah, that's not bad. But Jerry said to me, don't go for the first offer. If he offer, if he can't, if he's going to come back and, get, you know, offer you something. So I said, right, can I have another 10 minutes? Get back on the phone. He went, Christ. <laughs> he said, you really need I went, look, I just need to run it past him again. So I went and phoned Jerry. He went, well, that's not bad. He said, now, what you need to do is try and meet him somewhere in the middle. So we went back. I went back and I said, look, okay, what about 350 grand and, you know, seven and a half grand? So Mick went, okay, I'll shake your hand on that. So we 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 agreed that I'd sort of sign, you know, I think I was on 350 pound a week plus the bonuses. The bonuses were, were half decent, I think. Uh, and... They give me, I think, seven grand in the end, uh, signing on fee. So, you know, and that was my first sort of eye opener to the world of professional football because before everything had been done for you, you know, and you were told what to do um, or what you were going to get. So that was a, an experience. Yeah, how old were you then? I was 21. 21. So, you, so obviously your dad's not up there, it's just you. No, no, my dad wasn't there. Uh, Mum wasn't there. Um, I'd gone up there and I'd, you know, been playing. I did speak to my dad about it, but I mean, he, he had no idea what to ask for, you know. So I, I said to him, you know, Jerry's got to be the, the man. He know, you know, he's had me for nearly a season. He knows what what I'm worth. Um, so I, it was great, you know, and and he was very honest about it. So. Uh, and to be fair, Mick Mick Buxton was probably he's probably one of the honest, most honest managers I think I've I've ever played under. He's, he was brilliant for me, you know. Uh, proper old head, you know, liked to play football, you know, quite dry sense of humour. Proper, you know, uh, proper northerner, and uh, and I I struck up a really good relationship with him. So, and that that then started me off uh, with my career there, so- and that. I guess, you know, that that again, you know, Huddersfield were doing sort of okay. You know, they were middle to middle to top of the old second division. So I'd only gone, you know, down a division from Spurs in the, in the first division. So it was a good move. So do... Uh... Is there like a change in mentality? Because you're out there for loan, you're there for a month. I mean, what what are you trying to do on that loan? Is it playing experience? Or are you trying to impress people? And then obviously, when you get the contract, does something change? Because obviously, support I know is probably maybe poor examples, but watching QPR sometimes you get these loan players who are superb, and then when you sign them on on a permanent deal, it's just not the same player. Is... Yeah, I guess so. In the first instance, you're going there to 
impress them enough to sign you, I guess. But my, as a, as a player, you can't necessarily turn things on and off, can you? You play, yeah. but my my own opinion, my, the way I have always attacked the game is that I try to play consistently, whatever you know. And sometimes, and we talked about this the other day, you know, sometimes you hit a uh, a streak where whatever you do doesn't go well and you try different things and it doesn't go well and often you need other people to try and help you to dig yourself out but in in in, in answering your question you know for the first month I was you know I was outstanding for the first month and then for the rest of that season um and then it, it sort of carried on and I I started the next season really well um and then along the you know along the way we had some a few sort of road bumps that came along and we we had sort of periods of time where for the life of us we couldn't get a result and you know and I played again with lots of very experienced players playing with you know Sam Allardyce as centre half you know what an experience that was what's he like you know Sam, what was he like as a player he he was complete nutter absolute nutter lovely bloke but on the pitch you know he used to say to me Simon don't worry, I'll look after you on the pitch. And and he did. And if there is it, I remember one game, I was having a bit of a bit of trouble against a, a centre forward. I can't remember who it was. Uh, and I can't remember what game. But Sam said to me, look, you got, because we played left and right. I used to play on the right side of, of the centre, you know, centre half. And he played left side centre half. And uh, he went, Simon, go and play on the left for a minute. So I went, no, I'm all right. It's all right. So he went, no, no. He said, look, give me, give me five minutes over this side. I'll sort it. I'll sort this chap out. So within five minutes, Sam had smashed him a couple of times and, you know, <laughs> smashed him in the air, battered him in a tackle. And he went, come on in, let's swap back. He said, I think you'll be all right. So uh, after that, it sort of softened the blow a little bit, you know, and I sort of had a little look at what he'd done and uh, he gave me a little bit of advice on the pitch, you know, try this, try that. And, it turned things around for me. So having having someone out there with his experience was was fantastic. So I played with him and I played with a chap called Paul Jones. You know, Paul and Sam, they used to play at Bolton when Bolton had a really good side. So they played together often. Uh, but I played with both of them, never together, but um, played with them. And then Joey Jones, you know, I don't remember Joey Jones, left back for... Play for Liverpool and Chelsea and Wrexham was his hometown team. No. So I got to play with some really, really good centre halves, and all of them were good for me in, in very different ways. So, so you know, from, with, sorry, with those experienced players, and how could, thinking about it now, could you pinpoint where you can win games? Where what? Sorry? Could you pinpoint where you couldn't win any games? Because you said you went on a bad run of games where you just tried everything. Yeah, yes. You know, as a team, we were, you know, we had some good ability. You know, we had uh, like centre forwards like Duncan Shearer. I don't you remember Duncan Shearer? Duncan scored goals, and Dale Tempest. Dale came from Fulham, um, and you know they they could score goals. But often as a team, you know things things didn't go particularly smoothly. You know, we we might have injuries. You know, people would be in and out often or a few times I played with maybe sort of three or four different centre halves. Um, and those sort of things disrupt your flow a little bit. 
So, you know, trying to form a relationship takes time. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got, say, your centre-halves being sort of changed all the time or your centre-midfield players being changed or you're changing personnel regularly, um, then that can disrupt the flow. So I think in in those sort of times, you know, although personally, I think I had probably one, one real blip at Huddersfield in the sort of middle of the three-year period. And then towards the end, I sort of was not as happy as I had been. And I was sort of looking to leave at the end of that period. Um, but Why wasn't you happy? Uh, managers had changed. Uh, Mick, Mick had gone. Uh, and then after that, we sort of had probably three or four different managers in a, in a really short space of time. Um, and I think what by the time we got to, I think we had Malcolm McDonald and chap called Owen Hand, who's Irish chap, who I really, really didn't get on with. We had a youth team manager, a reserve team manager who came up and took the first team. He was quite, he was good at, with the reserves, but he was pretty poor when he came up to the first team. And, and that sort of disrupted things quite a lot. Um, and I was sort of thinking it was, you know, it's about time to move on as well. Um, I, I was sort of, I'd been playing reasonably well. And I was thinking it's you know I just need a I need a change. Um, so when it came to that, I think I'd I'd got to the sort of transfer window, which it used to be in March, and uh, I'd put a transfer request in, and I ended up going over to Sheffield United, so not very, not that far away. But um, Dave Bassett had just taken over at Sheffield United from what he'd come from Watford, and um, he David was deciding to have a massive overhaul of players at Sheffield. Sheffield was struggling at the wrong end of the division like we were. Um, and I ended up going over there for the end of that season and two and two more seasons. Um, but that season, both Huddersfield and um, Sheffield United went down. Uh, we were, I, as I'd gone to Sheffield, we'd sort of almost dug ourselves out of it. Um, and then they, I don't know if you remember the playoffs where you used to play against the the, t the division below. So you'd have the bottom bottom two teams playing and then you'd have the sort of the top team of the other division um, and you'd play against each other in this sort of playoff and then you'd have a final. So you'd play two semifinals and a final. But it was against the bottom teams of one division and the top teams of the other. And I think we ended up playing Bristol City and we drew, I think we drew nil-nil and then lost one-nil or something like that. Or we drew one-one and lost one-nil. Uh, and we ended up going down. Uh, but that ended up being a blessing in disguise, really, because after we'd gone down, Bassett finally sort of, he, he sorted out his squad for the following season. Um, got rid of all the dead wood that was there at Sheffield. They had, I think they'd had a lot of players that had been there for a long time. He ingrained the way that he wanted us to play and you know my I'd known Dave really from my time at Tottenham and when he was at Wimbledon so that's that's why he'd, he'd sort of come and sign me because he knew me as a, a younger player uh, and knew my sort of capabilities in the air and stuff like that and, and strength in defence and um, the funny thing is when I went there he sort of employed me as a, a central defensive midfield player often. Um, I played a couple of games at centre-half 
Um, but then when we started the following season, all through pre-season, it's, it, it played me as a central defensive midfield player. Essentially, he didn't want his centre-half to, to have to head the ball. So that was my job, to sweep up in front of them and stop the ball coming into the, the centre-forward's feet and stuff. And, you know, we had a very, very uh, set way of playing, let's say, very direct way of playing. Differences between Huddersfield and Sheffield, and like, how, how do you adapt adapt to them? Because obviously you got a set. Was there a set way of playing under? Is it Mick Mike? Yeah, so Mick uh, Mick, Mick Huddleston used to like to play football, you know, and there were times when we would go direct. But you know, I think I, I look back at the Spurs team that I used to play. Sorry, I used to watch in the seventies, and if Spurs had to play long, they'd always play long, you yeah. know, and. So Mick was a little bit like that. You know, we'd play football if we could. If we couldn't, we'd mix it up. Uh, but essentially, he liked to play football. Dave Bassett was not interested in playing football out the back. Um, he wasn't interested in playing mid, uh, football in midfield, really. Not unless the game was completely won. Um, his, his, his philosophy, if you like, it was to put the ball in behind the other team and let them make mistakes. And... It was the way he did it, it was very successful. You know, fullbacks, if a fullback got the ball, he missed out the central third and just put the ball into the, you know, the, the final third in the corner. If the centre halves got it, the centre halves had a couple of uh, options. You either put it into that same channel or you went on a diagonal to the opposite channel or you played it over the top for your centre forwards to get onto. In midfield, if you played in midfield and got it down and played, it used to do his nut. You know, you often used to sort of maximum one, two touches and then it would you either hook it in behind the defence or you'd play it out wide to your winger. The wingers, their job was to, you know, attack at pace, get past their full back and cross the ball. Or if they were given space, just put the ball in the box. We played a lot for set pieces. If we got set pieces, you know, they used to be bombed in on the goalkeeper. Everything was designed to create opportunities, you know. And he used to come in, we used to come in at half time, and it was probably the first time I'd been exposed to uh, to any sort of data or analysis. Someone would come down from the stand and they'd say, Harry, you've only got, you know, so and so on the wing's only got five crosses in, and he's only got six in. We need 10. So the second half, you know, you'd be thinking, well, he's got to get 12, 13 crosses in, you know, because he, he used to bank on 10 crosses, you know, you'd, you'd get a chance or you get a goal. 10 shots, you'd get a goal. 10 what he called reaches, so a ball from the full back to the, into the, the hole behind the, the left back or the right back, he called that a reacher. And if you hit 10 reaches, he used to say, well, if you hit 10 reaches, you know, the odds on, oh, we're going to get a cross or a free kick or a corner out of it you know, would get a goal opportunity. So it was all, it was well thought out and very statistical, you know. Um, and, how and how did you feel like that as an individual though? Like in terms oh, of, how did you feel in terms of obviously the playing style as an individual? Did you, did you buy into it? Well, well, the playing style was not, you know, when I went there, so now you're a professional, you're not thinking too much about, well, okay, do I really like this? You know, yeah. I'd gone there because it was an opportunity to go to someone I thought was going to be successful. 
We played pre-season. We scored untold goals. Um, we started the season. We scored untold goals. We had two centre forwards up front called Tony uh, Tony Agana and Brian Dean. Oh, yeah. A lad on the wing called Ian Bryson. Another lad on the wing called um, Alan Roberts. And they scored phenomenal amounts of goals. Even I started scoring a few. You know, and within two or three weeks of the season started, you you know, you could see we were going to have success. And, you know, we started winning and nobody could get near us. And when you start thinking about the style and I used to think, well, it wasn't really for me, but we were successful. But uh, I mean, the unfortunate thing for me was, uh, you know, as part of that success, we, you know, I, I unfortunately broke my leg at that time. Uh, I think probably about 17, 18 games into the season, I broke my leg when I was doing really, really well. Um, and then that put me out for a year. So, you know, I had to sort of sit and watch that success from the sideline, which was, it, you know, was really tough. Um, so, yeah, that we're back to that adversity thing, you know, again. Yeah. So how, how did you break your leg? Was that in a tackle or? We uh, we played at Mansfield Town in the FA Cup, and we're not, you know, it was, the Mansfield were in the division below us, and they were quite a tough team to play against. We played, I think they used to play at a ground called Field Mill, and we played the first half, and it was a bit of a non-entity. I'd not really had that many touches on the ball. Uh, we'd not created that much in terms of chances, and the second half started, and um, I was playing my usual role as a central defensive midfield player and I'd I'd gone in to close somebody down and they'd played the ball back to the fullback and the fullback clipped the ball over to, over me into the centre forward and I and my job really was to try and prevent those balls going into the centre forward so as it went over my head I tracked back and the centre forward had a bad touch came away from him I went to take it off him from the front and as I went to take it off him our own centre centre-half came through the centre-forward and just tackled everything, tackled the centre-forward, tackled me, took everything. And in that tackle, he, you know, he smashed into my leg. And it was just an unfortunate thing that I, you know, suffered a double fracture in my um, right right leg. Well, um, so, obviously, break your legs. What's going through your through your head then in terms of your career? I mean, are you, obviously, well, you want to return, is it? Are you... Is your career are you talking about immediately, or are you talking about no, so after you've done like or surgery or whatever is your rehab? Like, say, like a couple of weeks after, are you thinking, right, is, it, is this me finished? Am I going well, to be the same again? So, I had there's complications of my break, so I ended up with a thing called compartment syndrome. So, the where the bone the bone had broken, and in your lower leg, you have these compartments where the muscles are. and the bleeding that occurred after the break bled within one of the compartments. And if it's within a, car, a compartment and bleeds extensively, then the blood can't really go away anywhere. So yeah. your leg, it causes your leg to swell and it, it then starts to cut the circulation off. So when I got into Mansfield General Hospital, there was, there was sort of not panic, but there was concern over this break and the fact that I didn't have a pulse in my leg. Um, and they wouldn't, they, they wanted this, uh, this certain surgeon to be around and they had to wait for this surgeon to, to come in. And, uh, I found out afterwards that, um, she was probably one of the, the best surgeons for that 
particular type of problem at the time. So I ended up having a, a big, um, they had to cut my leg open and, and allow the blood to be released. And then they fixed my leg with what they call an external fixator. So like a big bar, they put sort of nine pins in my leg and, and these two big bars on my leg to, to fix the, the break while I had this big wound on the outside of my leg. So I had to sort of recover from that as well. So it was a long old process. And I remember, you know, within a week of the break occurring, I was in Mansfield Hospital, I think for about four or five days before they transferred me back to uh, Sheffield. But before I left, the surgeon said to me, look, I reckon it's going to be a good, you know, good two years, Simon, before you get back, if you get back. And I always remember those words. And I was like, ah, do you know what? This is, there's nothing's going to stop me from getting back. You know, this adversity again, you know, how are you going to, uh, you know, rise up from that? And, you know, once I, I struggled, I must admit, I did struggle for a, a good period of time, um, probably about four to five weeks after I broke my leg and I was stuck at home on my own. And, um, you know, I, my, my fiance at the time was, uh, you know, going to work and I was very much left on my own. The players used to occasionally come round, and, but I struggled, I must admit, and I look back on it and now I, having spoke to a number of people, I realised that I was depressed and, you know, because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. But um, once, once you sort of get to a stage where things start to heal and you're, you can start to, you know, at least get out and start to do some, you know, strength work. For me, it was about getting back to the club, even though I was on my crutches. So long as I could get back to the, cr uh, the club and start training and doing some weights. As soon as I did that, I snapped into gear and I thought, right, this is it. I've got to crack on now. Um, I did a lot of reading about how to rehabilitate after a broken leg. Um, we had a lovely physio there called um, Derek French and Frenchie was brilliant. But I think what I sort of had in my mind is that, look, I need to do much more than he's going to give me. And I need some knowledge of, you know, myself to, to get back. So I did lots of reading and I did lots of rehab myself. And I ended up, you know, much to Frenchie's joy, I used to take all the other injured players. I used to take them and say, right, I'm doing a session this afternoon. If anyone wants to join in, then come and join in. And everyone used to come in and I used to take the session. And, you know, that's how I start, first started to really learn about rehabilitation and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a, there was a, a massive drive for me to get back. We talk about adversity over the last two episodes. Obviously, you've gone through a lot of stuff. Did that did that help you with your comeback from your first injury? I think what I what I'm pretty good at. I'm you know like I said before, I'm quite strong minded. I didn't realise at the time that I was depressed. I didn't realise that my behaviour that I was experiencing or showing was because I was depressed. Um, but once I saw a little bit of a, a light at the end of the tunnel, I was thinking, right, okay, I can see that light now. And now I need to sort of just crack on. And, and as soon as I, as soon as I got that sort of, um, that sign, uh, I thought, right, I need to get my head down. And then once I get, once I get my head down and I get something in my mind and I'm pretty, you know, strong willed about it, single minded. And I just did everything that I thought was the right thing to do. And I pushed on and it, 
I I read stuff that was written about me at the time not that long ago, and it, nobody could believe the amount of work that I put in. You know, if you talk to French, he'd never seen anything like it. You know, I used to do three, four sessions a day for months and months. You know, I was out for I think I I my comeback game was against Wolves in the, the old Freight Rover Trophy or something like that, the Simod Cup, whatever it was called at that time. Um, and I played, funnily enough, at right back. And it was exactly, I think, 10 months from the time that I broke it to me making my, you know, my comeback. And nobody could believe that I, you know, got back and nobody could believe how fit and, you know, that I'd got, you know, got back to the, the fitness level. Um and then I, you know, then it was a bit of a, it was a struggle really to get back into the team because the team had sort of done so well, you know, and then that became a bit of a frustration, you know, that I'd worked so hard and, and then I couldn't reclaim the place that I, you know, I sort of, do, I suppose, cut out for myself at the football club. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, that, yeah it must be frustrating working that hard to get back in, but obviously, like you said, you can't just go back into the team obviously if the team had been doing no, well absolutely they'd got by that time by the time I got back in we'd been promoted so we were gone from the old third division to the second division and we were top of the second division so you know we we're flying along and when we come back to that you know that um, we talked about versatility actually you know mm. that that helped me quite a lot at this stage because if we did have an injury you know I would often fill in at right back I'd sometimes go in at centre-half. I'd play centre-midfield. And I even played two games as centre-forward, of which, I, you know, one of them, I got a man of the match over at Oldham on the Astra, the old AstroTurf at Oldham, you know. So, I, you know, I, I really played my part in then the club getting promoted that year to, uh, to the first division, you know, which then became the Premier League. So... Yeah. Um, in terms of um, injuries, so we spoke to Kim Dixon um, a couple of episodes ago, and she said that after her ACL injury, she was never the same player. Would you say the same for you, or did you, or was it like nothing happened to you? Obviously, it took your time to get back in, but once you were back in, never look back. So I, I think, in terms of uh, adjusting, um, you when I when I got myself fit and I was ready to play those first few games back, it's like a bit of euphoria, isn't it? It's like yeah. you're you're pleased to be back. Um, it's almost like what you're saying before about the loan signing. You get yourself back. It becomes you know it's really excitement and and then you've got to think right, okay, now I need to get back in that first team. And when it's not happening, it becomes a a, a sense of frustration and and stuff like that. Um, but what I what I found was I you know I was very strong I was you know I it didn't take me um, as long as I thought to get back to to being how I felt I was you know at my full tilt you know but the thing is I wasn't able to um, become consistent in a position and I was in a team that was doing really well you know and like I say we got promoted. And then it come to the the next season and I thought, you know what, I, I now need to be in the team. And I, I had this real sense of it wasn't going to happen at Sheffield. Um, but 
at the end of that season, as we got promoted to the first division, I'd been to see Bassett about signing a, a contract. I remembered what Jerry Francis had told me before, you know, go in and get that contract under your belt just in case. And uh, <laughs> that was interesting as well, because Bassett was like Mick Buxton. He used to deal with everything. Yeah. And I went in and asked him for, a, you know, you know, I've, I've done well, I've come back. Is there any chance of getting a contract? And, and he went, yeah, this is what you, this is what I'm going to give you. So I went, okay, I'll go home and talk to my wife about it. Is that all right? And he went, no. He said, this is what I'm going to give you. If you don't want it, Simon, I'll give it to someone else. And and that was it. So I said to my missus, I said, look, what do you reckon? She said, well, sign it and then see see what happens pre-season. And we came back for pre-season and it's fairly obvious that I wasn't going to be first choice. So I said to him, right, I think it's time that I left. And within probably a five or six days I was down at Charlton um, and and that's when I had signed for I went down played a month on loan through the rest of pre-season and signed for Charlton for three years yeah so I think what we'll do then because again I think we'll get you on again because I think Charlton was a really important stage in your career in terms of you've, yeah. you've kept in um, everything that's going off the pitch off the, off the field so I think we'll, we'll definitely get you back on for that because I think there's a lot to talk about there. Um, what I mean, what would you say about your? So looking back at now at your Sheffield and Huddersfield days, I mean, what, what did you learn from it? Obviously, apart from the negotiating a deal, what else did you? I, I think they were sort of formative years, really. I mean, when I went to Huddersfield, I, it was the first time I was away from home, really. Exeter, I'd gone and li- you know lived down there most of the time. Yeah, because I wanted to ask that. How how did that change? Because obviously you went on loan. But obviously you're there now permanently. How does how does that affect you being like obviously others miles away? Yeah, others was miles away from obviously where yeah, you grew up. But what I mean, the good thing there was I was I was amongst a lot of good young players, and those young players were coming through. You know, at Huddersfield, they had a very good youth team, and it was obvious that a lot of the players were going to go on to have reasonable careers, and they did. Um, so I I grew up with some really good young players who were sort of around my age. And, you know, they're still my friends to this day. Um, so I met a lot of good people and I loved Huddersfield. I loved Yorkshire. You know, it's really friendly, very different from being in London. I loved being up in the countryside. Um, and really, you know, I, I bought a house. First time I had my own house. Uh, responsibility of looking after that. Uh, responsibility of being on your own and having to manage yourself and do the right things if you could you know often you know, we're, we used to, used to like a drink at the weekends as people did at you know that sort of time but it was about managing yourself through the week and, and getting the best out of yourself for the games so that for me it, it was for Huddersfield was about learning to become an adult um, having your own house and you know socializing um, I met loads of good friends um, and then going over to Sheffield, it was about, you know, about gaining success. Um, albeit I had another sort of level of adversity. I learned how to get back from a really bad injury. You know, that in itself was a, you know, a hell of an experience that shapes you as a person and and gives you, you know, sort of that toughness, um, you know, to deal with stuff. So I guess they were they were very different times 
and I learned different things at different places. You know, I, I guess at Sheffield, I learned a different way of playing football. Yeah. You know? um, not it wouldn't be my first choice, but it was successful, and it got us to the you know the first division. It got us up to the you know the Premier League. No, no yeah, um, no, thank you. That was really well put. So obviously, you've, last time you've only done your isolation six aside, and um, you had who is it? Um, Stuart Farmer, Gary Worthington, uh, Steve Perryman, Scott Minto, or Minto, sorry, um, Alan Cockrum, and obviously Alan Kirbishley as your as your coach. Um, any changes in that, or are you, are you still happy with that? No, I think I'll be happy with that. Yeah. Obviously, last time I put you on the spot about a story, um, Kim Dixon told a good one the other week about... What about I don't me? Know you, no, not about you. I don't know. You I, you might have been there about Paul Mortimer doing a, having a um, hairdryer treatment to the girls at half-time against Denham, and he leaned on the sink, and halfway through the run, he fell through the sink. Was you, was you there for that? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I wouldn't have been there for Mort. So I, I didn't do the games with when Mort's was there. I used, just used to look after the girls on a, you know, I used to do the injuries on a Thursday night. So, yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, I can't imagine that being in that kind of situation. I think that would have been funny, that. wouldn't it? I think, um, yeah. <laughs> I think I would, I would have had to laugh. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, uh, do, you, I, do you have any stories then? I know, I know you have. You've got loads of stories, but. I t- we were talking about one the other day in terms of a sort of a psychological one and, and we were talking about you know being put in positions that were not particularly nice and I remember Malcolm McDonald was uh, the manager at um, Huddersfield Town and I'd just been out I'd, I'd suffered a, a traumatic uh, inguinal hernia in a game against Leicester and that was probably it was diagnosed within a, a week and I had had an operation within that week and the expected really return time for that, you know, was um, probably six weeks. Now, three weeks into it, I, I was we were due to play Aston Villa. And I'd, I'd been out, you know, socialising the night before on the Friday, not even thinking I'd be playing. Uh, I'd not had too much to drink, uh, but I came in and before we, we set off from Leeds Road, he pulled me in the... the um, the treatment room he said Simon uh, I need you to play today and I was like uh, <laughs> really yeah. I've, you know I'm three weeks into rehab I've not really done much I said but if you're really struggling you know then, and you need me then I, of course I'll play so he said well I need you we're going to play three centre halves and we're going to do this that and the other and all I want you to do is you know you just be one in the middle and head the ball away and tidy tidy up so we went down to Aston Villa and we, we played and I I played really well, um, drew one all um, at Villa Park. And then two days later, it was over Christmas, uh, two or three, two or three, two days later, I think it was, we played Shrewsbury Town at Shrewsbury. And um, I said to the gaffer, look, I, I don't think I can play. I said, I can't even move. I can hardly move, you know, because I'd done no proper rehab or anything like that. I'd just gone out there cold and played. So I said, I, I can't even move. I said, you know, I'm struggling. So he said, um, well, I need you. I need you to play. I've got no players. You're going to have to play. So I played and we got 
we got beat, I think something like three one, and I was absolutely awful, really awful. Couldn't move. I couldn't move. Honestly, I couldn't run. Couldn't move. Couldn't get up to head the ball. I was struggling. And we came off, and so he slaughtered the team, and he turned around to me and he said, "As for fucking you, you were shite." <laughs> And he honestly really, really laid into me. And I was embarrassed for him, number one, because I told him that I couldn't play. And then afterwards, I didn't say anything in the, in the meeting because I was so embarrassed. I was, you know, I couldn't believe. And then afterwards, I sort of took him took him to the side and um, had a chat with him in private. And we had heated words. But the big thing for me, I I don't know, <laughs> Malcolm was... Uh, was struggling with drink at the time and yeah. we started talking it got a bit heated and he was coming up he was right close to me you know breathing in my face and i was like that do you know what gaffer we need to stop this conversation now and he was getting annoyed what what are you fucking saying i said i think we need to stop now you've been drinking it's obviously not the right time to play uh, time to say anything and uh so <laughs> he's starting to knock me out he was, he was getting that aggressive that I just said look I think we just need to walk away and he we, we had a conversation two days later in his office and the same thing happened he was uh, you know stinking of alcohol so he needless to say I mean it was a, it was a night of time I, and it, the reason I tell the story is because when you do something for someone you know, often it's not recognised why you're doing it. It's just a case of, you know, he's asking you because he is struggling and he didn't have yeah. any, he, he wasn't thinking about me at all, but he felt okay to belittle me in front of everybody else, you know, when things weren't so good. But the story behind it was actually, he was fucking pissed. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got, um, got one more? Um, one more story. I'm trying to think of a more a, a funnier one rather than sort of a more serious one. Um, I'll next time I'll have to think of another one because oh, I I think I, I've got something in my head and then it, I start talking about everything else and it all goes out of my head. <laughs>